Welcome to Vape Village, the podcast for the Victorian Association for the Teaching of English. My name is Ernest Price and I'm the Education Officer at Vape. We're using this podcast feed to spark discussion and connection within our community. I'd like to acknowledge that all of the professional learning included in today's session happened on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We're going to do something a little bit different this episode. I've included short excerpts from a range of professional learning videos that VATE has released to support members in this time of remote teaching and learning. If you're interested in the full package, you can contact us to purchase it. I'll give you some more details at the end of the episode. We'll start here with an excerpt from a session prepared by Sarah Tacey, the Head of English at Virtual School Victoria. She was featured in an earlier episode of this podcast. In this excerpt, she's talking about how to effectively provide feedback to students whilst we're working remotely. Enjoy. And this is an example of how you might want to use a colour system. So I've used yellow to highlight informal language and blue to highlight grammatical issues. So whichever system of colours you use, um, obviously one or two colours keeps it simple and try and keep whatever comments you're making as clear as possible. So you can't quite make it out here, but I like to use examples where I can. So if a student's used particular language in their response, I like to rework what they've done or give them some questions to consider to prompt them along with maybe adding to that for next time. So here, this student has talked about the audience and said that it's aimed at readers of The Guardian because that was where the opinion piece was published. And they've said that it's a heavy topic. So I've asked them to elaborate on what that what they mean by heavy topic. And then they've said that some readers might agree that a change needs to be made, whereas others will maybe deny that a change needs to be made. So I've asked them to connect that back to something we gave them to look at around the readership of The Guardian and the fact that they're quite often progressive. And I've said, okay, think about a progressive person's politics and whether they are more likely to support the need for some sort of change around this issue or whether they're more likely to want to stick with the status quo. So that's my prompt to try and get them to be a bit more specific and precise with how the intended audience may respond to that particular issue as well. Um, one other really important principle here with this feedback is avoiding intimidating students with the quantity of comments. So I would try and limit it so that if I could, if I really wanted to, I could mark up a piece of work and have, you know, tens of comments down the side of the, the screen in review mode, but I'd probably stick to three or four on a page points there and I try and frame those as questions as much as possible or thinking prompts and then I'll provide a summary at the end which I'll show you in a minute that sums up some of those those key patterns that I'm seeing in their work. So I'm not really commenting on every individual spelling mistake or every grammatical error. If there's, a, like I said before, if there's a common grammatical error I'm noticing in their work and I want to show them what they're doing wrong and give them some information about that, I'll probably do that separately. So I might put in a link to an online resource in their summary comments or I might give them an example of how to fix their their error and maybe um, rework what they've written to show them the correct way to write it. But generally, I don't 
spend all my I don't write lots and lots of small comments about all those small things because the page will just look very cluttered and intimidating but also overwhelming for students so I think that's a really key point with feedback. Now for something at the other end of the teaching and learning cycle. Ali Baker from Wodonga Senior Secondary has recorded a professional learning video focusing on how to best support EALD learners in a remote teaching environment. Included here is an excerpt from the part of the video where she is discussing how to effectively give instructions that can be easily understood by all students. Let's begin with making sure that our instructions make sense for EALD learners. Some of the strategies that we can use to ensure our instructions are clear are to predict where an EALD learner may become confused or not understand instructions. And when we've made these predictions, we can grade the language that we use, simplify the way that we deliver content using tools such as the 20 word rule. And we can also provide instructions to EALD learners in advance. This next excerpt is from a session on teaching analyzing argument. It's part of a two-part series that looks at teaching, analyzing and presenting argument with a focus on lots of teaching and learning activities you can use both while working remotely and when you're back in the classroom. This extract is looking at how to teach analyzing images. We'll talk now about analyzing images and obviously some of the suggestions that I've made here already have embedded in them a discussion of um, visual imagery and the way it supplements arguments um, and language that is used. I want to talk uh, a little bit about some of the sources you can use to have these discussions with young people, particularly while they're working remotely. So again, comparing two news organisations and the kind of imagery that they use um, can be really useful. So I am filming this professional learning session on the day after the horrific uh, crash that occurred in Melbourne uh, this week. That crash um, has been uh, spread over news media in somewhat uh, different context. So some news organisations have used really evocative and disturbing images of the crash, others have chosen not to. Um, so again, comparing the reportage around that um, and the way that that um, presents an explicit argument I think can be really useful. I'm going to show you a couple of other websites now that can be useful for illustrating other concepts around um, the use of images and I think for me one of the most important things to think about um, with this question of imagery um, and the use of visual aids for argument is to think about what material is selected and what material is left out. So for me infographics are really useful because um, they are powerful tools used in the prosecution of an argument but often we as audiences um, and particularly young people have a blind spot when they think about that um, kind of data. They think that that is the whole story as opposed to thinking about the way the data is presented or the way the data is initially selected. So let's look at a site called Information is Beautiful which is a site that um, makes use of a range of infographics. So um, if you go to Information is Beautiful, you can have a look here at 
um, the presentation of um, a range of different concepts and data and work with young people around one or two of these infographics to think about what information is being selected, what information is being presented and how. They also have a supplementary site which is Beautiful News Daily. Again, the same kind of concept around unpacking infographics, unpacking what information is presented, why, how, etc. And how does this create or supplement an argument? One of the other most significant uh, tools for communication is, of course, the caption associated with um, a visual image. So if you um, just Google New Yorker caption contest, you can work with young people around creating captions. There are also, as you can see on the screen here, a number of videos that have been produced by actors about uh, the concept of creating a caption. So they can be fun and useful tools to have young people think about the power of a caption. Um, it is indeed often something that young people don't analyse when they are discussing an image. So an exercise around the New Yorker caption contest could be really useful um, in terms of illustrating those concepts to young people. Logos are of course one of my favourite things to discuss with young people. What kind of ideas and ideologies that are communicated. A really useful tool um, on the ABC's um, YouTube channel is to look at uh, an excerpt from Utopia. So this is up on the official channel, so it's fine for you to, to watch in terms of copyright. And there's a short discussion here, it's just a, a minute long clip um, about the creation of a logo. Um, so if you haven't ever watched Utopia, uh, it's really about unpacking a lot of the issues around language and the bureaucracy is one of the core um, ideas. So this logo clip, which you can um, direct young people to, really distill some of those ideas um, down. So, in terms of analysing images, there's a lot of rich work that can be done there to deepen young people's understanding of the way that images are used to supplement and prosecute arguments. Here we'll include an excerpt from the companion session on teaching presenting argument. There's a focus here on how to use various online platforms to support students in planning and creating their arguments. Once they've gone through those learning activities, it can be useful then to get them to think about contentions and supporting arguments. Now, often we will have had students using traditional kind of planning documents to outline their contention and their supporting arguments. One way this can be adapted, particularly using digital platforms, is to get them to extend an argument across social media platforms. So in the last session, I talked about the way that Twitter can be used to have students analyse contentions. Now we can flip that and have students using Twitter to present their own contention. They can then use other social media platforms to extend that contention with supporting arguments. They might create a Twitter thread, they might create an Instagram story or a, a post featuring multiple pictures as a way of supporting that contention. Now, you don't have to have students using this literally. You can have them storyboarding these social media posts or sort of simulating them for you or for their classmates. This can then become a collaborative activity. So you may have students construct the thread, for example, on Twitter, and then have their classmates analysing that thread. 
So identifying the contention, identifying the supporting arguments. This kind of collaboration around the planning or the outlining of the contention and the supporting arguments can be an initial first check on whether or not those are effective arguments. Um, and again, you can have the young people provide feedback to each other, either digitally or in person. Our last extract today is from a session on teaching independent text study. We've included some learning activities here that can be used for students who are studying a wide range of texts that meet their interests and needs. In terms of setting up classroom lessons and hurdle activities for the young people who are reading separate texts, there are a number of strategies that we took um, to ensure that the skills were still being built in a way that we could monitor. So firstly, we placed a really big emphasis on the kind of core reading skills that competent, confident readers display. And we would create mini lessons that would allow us to model those skills for young people. This translates very readily to a remote context, particularly if you have access to some sort of digital platform. So we would present, we would pick a particular skill say understanding characterization in a text. We would speak explicitly about that skill, so what it involved, and we would model it with young people. So I would take a page from a text I was reading and narrate to them through annotation and through a discussion of my metacognition how I actually went about that. Often we would then use a shared text, either an excerpt from the text I was reading or a common text that we had studied earlier in the year. So we had studied a set text in semester one and we undertook independent text study in semester two. So we would refer back to that set text to practice the skill together. That would take up five to ten minutes of the lesson in a bricks and mortar classroom. In a remote context you could create a short video or have a video conference lesson where you undertake that part. The rest of the lesson then becomes about the young person applying that to their own text. They do this obviously independently, but you can also set them up in pairs to share what they have found. So you model the skill, practice it together, they undertake it independently, and then they share their findings with a partner. This can be done via video conferencing as well if you have access to a video conferencing platform that allows you to connect students who also obviously need that digital access. It's also really important, obviously, for you to be regularly engaging with young people and what they are reading and how they're applying these skills. So in the classroom, I would use that time, that independent uh, application time, to circulate and to be undertaking reading conferences with young people. Depending on how you're set up remotely, this may be something that you can undertake through video conferencing as well. You can have regular reading conferences and ask them to demonstrate the skills that they are learning. And I spoke earlier about that kind of pair um, format that you can use to allow young people to demonstrate their skills to each other and to help each other. We hope you found something useful in those extracts from Vate's online professional learning videos. Each of those videos can be purchased in its own right or as part of a package. Jump onto our website and have a look at the online professional learning offerings for more details. If you've got any questions, you can contact Julie. She's also the best place for you to go if you wish to purchase the videos. 
Her email address is events at vape.org.au. Please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast on your provider and contact us through social media or via email if you've got any ideas for future professional learning you would like us to offer. Thanks so much for listening and stay safe.